You are about to enter a great adventure. everyone back to another awesome episode of strutting from gorilla we are here today to talk about the one the only the ecf and w i am excited this is big Vito here we have a great show we're going to talk all about the span of ecw from 1992 to three ish all the way through its demise up in 2001 without further ado let me get you here to the leader of men to talk about our socials what is going on, gentlemen? This is Bobby over on the other side, your leader of men today. We are talking to you about the EC fucking W. Let's go blood, sweat, and beers. You fucking know it. I got my drink in my hand. But as you're checking us out on the Twitter machine and at TikTok, that's at from underscore gorilla, Facebook at SFG podcast, Instagram at S. F Gorilla Pod, and without a shadow of a doubt, our website struttingfromgorilla.com. We're everywhere. We're white on rice. We're fucking bringing it to you, and I can't wait to listen to Vito's just absolute amazingness, or hopefully amazingness. I'm gonna build you right on up, so you better fucking deliver today, brother. Yeah. I'm, I'm bringing it to you. You're really building it up there. I like to I like oh. to keep the expectations low and then deliver when they least expect it. Kind of like Oh no, WWE. you've been talking about ECW since day one. You've been giving me dribs and drabs throughout this whole thing. As a matter of fact, I'm here for the history lesson. So Cassio, I hope you went for the tapes. Vito, <laughs> I hope you went right in for it. Uh because um that's what we're talking about today. Cassio, what did we use for some information and references? Well, thank you for asking that, Bobby. And welcome, everybody, to this week's episode. And uh, what we used for just some of our references. Now, again, I'm going to say the same thing that I always say when we do these types of episodes. What's this that, isn't gonna, This isn't going to be a be-all, end-all history of ECW. Basically, today, me and Vito are going to be talking about the time, like when was the first time we were introduced to ECW and some of our favorite, you know, some of our impressions of it, segments that like really stood out to us and, and all of that fun stuff. But if you want a history, this is where I would let, well, I would like you to go. The rise and fall of ECW DVD. I think it came out in 2006, 2005, 2006, thereabouts. I think it was right around the time when WWE tried to resurrect ECW. So I think they were really pushing for that. So it was actually just while we're talking about that, Mikey Cash, it was actually the popularity of the Rise and Fall DVD that created the resurrection of ECW. Well, what do you know? Mm. You learn something new every day. So I would gear people towards that DVD. I would also gear them towards WWE Network also on Peacock for those of us in the United States. They have been adding a lot of content recently, much to the chagrin of Bobby Stone. Peacock has added a lot to their library, especially in terms of their ECW content. They finally uploaded a ton of their hardcore TVs. That was the syndicated broadcast that they had recorded. Some of them were from local house shows that they did. Some of them were different shows like Cyber Slam, things like that. They had a ton of clips. So check that stuff out. That's also where you'll find some of the more famous promos that we've talked about that Stone Cold does or the evolution of Steve Austin back in 1995. So, and I think the last resource I would direct people to go to, YouTube. There's tons of stuff about ECW all over YouTube. Tons of matches that haven't made it onto the network. Tons of New Jack stuff, RIP, that they just won't put on that network. So if you're really looking for some New Jack, if you're dying for some New Jack, 
check out uh, YouTube. Ooh. Hey, so the other thing too, we're going to use our, uh, our thoughts and our memories of the product too, right? So if you don't know what to look for, you can always tweet at us or Twitter at us or TikTok at us or Instagram at us. However you really want to get at us, that's completely fine. And you can ask us about any questions on ECW, just throw them our way. The other part that you want to kind of look into here too, with our TikTok and our Twitter, I tend to post a lot of ECW stuff, which is always great. So you can always look for that as well. So gentlemen, I'm going to actually ask you first, Fido. Okay. I want to know what your introduction to the ECW product was. How far does it go back? Because I can't imagine you were watching it in 92. No, absolutely not. No, absolutely not. No, actually, I was WWE all the way. Hulk Hogan through and through. Red, blood, and yellow. Red, yellow, and Hulkamaniac style all the way. All the characters loved them. As I got a little bit older and they kind of got into the Attitude Era, right? I was like, what's going on here? And then they had this weird interaction at one point where ECW invaded WWE or WWF at the time. And I was like, what is this stuff? What is this? And um, never really got a chance to watch ECW. And then it was on TNN for a little bit. So I watched a little of it then, but it was like not well done. You didn't even know when it was on. And then when the network hit, it was like a feeding ground for me. I got to tell you though, on the WWE network, it was much more organized. Like I could go through things and I knew the timeline, but when you go through Peacock, they do have the material on there and I'm hoping they do a better job with this because I have no timeline. Like it's just like random pay-per-views and then the years they were on and like I have no idea which one's which. And I'm not that much of an ECW expert where I can be like, oh, Cyber Slam or, you know, um, November to remember, or this is like in the next realm of things. I don't know that much, um, but I, I know enough. And so over the last few months, I've actually gone through and rewatched them. And I'm like, oh, shit, I already watched this one. But I couldn't remember half the beginning matches. So um, that's kind of where I uh, where, where I kind of first got introduced in, or introduced to ECW. Excellent. So I completely overbuilt you right from the beginning. So I'm glad that. Wonderful. All right. Great. So (laughs) Mikey Cash, what about you, brother? Well, I got to say, I'm much more in line with Vito on this one, too. For me, I I didn't really hear much about ECW for a long time. And maybe that's because I was in that WWF bubble. Like Vito, I was very entrenched in what I'm thinking mid to late 90s. I was pretty young. I was between 10 and 12 and I was watching Bret Hart. You guys know how much I love Bret Hart. So I was entrenched in everything that he was doing. I was entrenched in the WWF. I rarely watched WCW. Maybe when I was at my grandfather's house, he used to have it on there. Where the big boys play. Exactly. Where the big boys play. We would watch WCW Saturday night, but we're not doing a WCW episode. We're doing an ECW episode. So for me, I think my very first introduction, if I remember correctly, I was staying up late one night. And back in the day when you had the bunny years, sometimes you could catch channels that were not exactly in your area. So you could just sort of like move the the antennas around. So I remember doing that one one night because just like the TV was just all sorts of the picture wasn't right. And I was fiddling with it and I was just moving it around. I was moving the dial, you know, because the TV I had in my room didn't have a remote. So you had to go up and change the dial. And that was as I was changing the dial, one of the things came up was ECW. And it was it was really weird because there was this dude with a hat and a big trench coat walking around just like talking about ECW. And he was just yelling and screaming. And I remember being like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. And that and then the picture went out. So they really that was my first <laughs> taste of ECW. And then I remember my friends at school talking about this thing ecw that my introduction was really more third party than anything and that brief television clip i got so i i just want to say the 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 funny thing about ecw is i always pictured it when they would talk about it as this crazy absolutely nuts blood and gore everywhere like they wouldn't televise it because it was so bad but then i like started realizing that a lot of the big stars came from there too so i'm like it had to be somewhat decent if Stone Cold, Jericho, Benoit, Eddie Guerrero, as I realized they all kind of started there, I'm like, something was happening there, and I want to go back and rewatch it 
And then when I started watching it and I watched the fall rise and fall of ECW, I realized, well, this is just more than some crazy like banana show. Like there actually is a structure to it. And it's the way it started out. And 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 they it's it's not just this free-for-all, it's definitely different, and I'll get into it later, but like it still has the basic bare bones of what wrestling is with the history and the moves. They just took it to a different level. It wasn't about characters, good guys and bad guys. It was about being hardcore, you know, to every extreme. So that was kind of the first impression that I had. It was like, wow, all these guys are coming from here. Yeah, it's crazy. But like, why are they all coming from here and then going from there and becoming a big star? Like, what's the what's the parallel? And that's what really drew me in. All right. So before I give my first. Well, I guess I kind of gave my first impression, but. So wait, Vito, are you telling me that you just knew right off the bat where those guys were? Like, how did you find out that Jericho and all those guys came from ECW? Because for me, that was stuff I didn't really find out until basically ECW got bought out. Yeah, so I kind of realized it. I had inklings that they were on there. I remember working, I worked at Blockbuster Video in high school, and I remember seeing some of the DVDs on there. And like one of them was with Chris Jericho. Um, and he was the, the main highlight. And I'm like, oh, he was on there. And it just like, I can't remember exactly detail for detail how yeah. I knew this. Maybe it's just like stories or, or like just through you, the years you just sort of, of like all listening. Up by I, osmosis with yeah, like all I, people talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. Like it was strange, but I realized it. And I'm like, oh, well, if they're all coming from there. And, and like, I also realized that a lot of the ECW talent was going to WCW. Like you could see that. And I remember there being like a conflict between ECW, like Bischoff and and Heyman, which I think ultimately screwed Bischoff because he ended up going with Vince. And I think because of that, Vince got Paul Heyman's genius and was able to emphasize and kind of cage a little bit of the animal that was ECW to make it so it was on TV, but it was still edgy. You know what I'm trying Mm -hmm. to say? And I think it would be that that kind of connection worked together. So that's that's my thought. That's a good question. So, gentlemen, Vito, I think the first time that I even saw an ECW match, I don't have much to talk about on this product, but I will tell you this. It was the Dudley Boys. It was on Nessun, oh. which for, for our regional listeners and international listeners, there's an MSG station that New York has for the Rangers and the Knicks, I believe, or anything that goes on in MSG. But for the New England areas, for your Bruins and your Red Sox specifically, we have Nesson. But Nesson has a lot of weird, crappy sports that they throw on or just things that don't make sense at 1 o'clock in the morning. And it just so happens. Curling's... I mean, curling is actually kind of awesome, but that's a a podcast for another day. (laughs) But it was ECW, and I just saw guys going through tables. And little did I know then what I know now, or when I got later introduced to them a couple years later, it was actually the Dudley Boys, which was awesome. And to be honest with you, I think that was my... Oh, my God! That's the only segment I have for you. So, Mikey Cash, what do you have for your Joey Styles, oh, my God, segment? Well, for me, it... It came a couple years after that incident that I just mentioned before with the the bunny ear incident. As time went on, are you guys familiar with tape trading? And I think I, I think maybe some of our listeners may not be. Basically, what would happen was before there was the age of streaming and even DVDs or YouTube, what would happen is people would be watching wrestling in different regions and they didn't all air everywhere. So people would send in tapes to other folks. So you would sort of trade tapes. So you would have something that aired in New England and you would send it to somebody who maybe lived in Florida or the Midwest and stuff like that. So for me, I had a buddy in high school who his cousin lived down in the Philadelphia area. So they would trade tapes and he would send them stuff. So I got to go over my friend's house and watch just like a random, it it was just like a random collection of like recorded ECW matches. So it's like record of a record. So it was just like wild stuff. But one of the matches I watched, it was like RVD and Sabu versus, I, I don't even remember who they were against, but it was RVD and Sabu tag teaming. And they were on opposite ends of the ring and opposite corners. And both of the guys were on a table and RVD and Sabu jumped and did 
essentially what they tried to do is like leg drops to each person. But when they jumped, Sabu's table broke like a, like a split second before RVD's broke and the the table split up and you could see it like hit him in the face. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> and I just, it was one of the creepiest things I'd ever seen. It was just like blood everywhere. And later on, like years later, there was a, a RVD DVD that came out. It was called One of a Kind. And when you're watching it, he actually talks about that moment. And I remember watching it. I was like, oh my God, I remember seeing that. And it was all fuzzy and blurry. So if you actually want to see it in relatively high definition, that DVD is out there. That's my oh my God moment. So mine, I have a lot. Um, I'm not going to go through every single one. But I, as I watched it, um, I will tell you, if you have not watched the inaugural pay-per-view that uh, started ECW um, with Terry Funk uh, as, um, I forgot, gosh, I can't remember who he faced. I'm going to say it's Tommy Dreamer um, for the, the world title. That is what got me into ECW hardcore because the the passion that these guys would put into the show, like you don't see that anymore. Like these guys clearly knew they were laying it on the line. And the funny thing about, about these guys is it's not like they were making millions of dollars and they, most of them didn't even want to go to other promotions because they loved wrestling. And for some, some reason, somehow Paul Heyman was able to get the energy level from these guys that he got. It was unbelievable. The passion that these guys have is crazy. The pay-per-view that you're referring to is ECW Barely Legal. It yes. aired April 13th, 1997 from Philly. And you're right. Terry Funk did win the ECW championship. And actually, no, he didn't. It was, it was was He had to beat the Sandman and Stevie Richards in a three-way dance. He wins that, and then he gets an ECW title match against Raven. And he did end up winning that. Gotcha. Okay. Thank you for the fact check. I knew I wasn't going to get that right, but thank you for the fact check. That's great. You were close. You were I close. Was, I was kind of close, but it's a great moment. And I don't know what it is about Paul Heyman, but he gets those moments out of people. And go back and watch it. It was awesome. Like you just, yeah. you could feel even the guys that were undercarders were like pumped for the pay per view. And you don't see that. Now it's like, eh, I'm not going on first. I'm in the middle of the card. Like, I don't want to be part of this anymore. And it's like, that shit drives me crazy. It's like, they all wanted to do well and they weren't getting paid a lot of money. So like the stuff they would do is just insane. I, I got to tell you my, oh my God moment though. Like if I'm going to pick one is you mentioned the Dudley boys. I'm just going to say the Dudley boys, because if you listen to the, the stuff that comes out of Bubba Ray's mouth, I guarantee you half of it's not on Peacock right now. I saw some and I was surprised it was still on there. Yeah. But the stuff he would say to the crowd and because it was such a passionate and intimate crowd, I think the crowd fed off the wrestlers, but like the heat that Bubba Ray got was real, man. Like if you listen to the crowd, they were ready to jump over the barrier and beat them out of words, out of Bobby stones, beat the bag out of them. Like, yeah, just, it was nuts. And I, I watch it and I cringe. Like, I'm like, yeah, I hate this guy. But then they came over to WBF and they still had that attitude, but it was toned down. It was the same thing, but it was just well, toned yeah. down. Like, well, it was just like, it was neutered, right? We'll call it that. Dude, they, they couldn't be like insulting mothers at ringside at a WWF show no. them that they're teaching their daughters like to give blowjobs and stuff. Like, that oh, stuff right. was rough shit. Oh, that dude, there was some rough stuff. Like, and it, would but not like, be. I mean, it was. It, I mean, ultimately, it really wasn't okay then. But he, it wouldn't fly at all. Now. No. But here's where they. Here's where they succeed. They took a point in time, and they were well ahead of the game. Honestly, most of the stuff that ECW did, WCW or even WWF stole it. Like big I gotta time. be honest, big time, big time. So, but they were well ahead of the game. I mean, if you look at that era, what was really popular? Jerry Springer, all these mm-hmm. crazy shows. Girls Gone Wild, like, stuff like, yeah, all that stuff. And so the fact that they were, they were swearing, like that doesn't happen. Hulk Hogan doesn't swear. You know what I mean? Like that mm-hmm. stuff was, they were well ahead of the curve. And like, I'm not going to say it was a good thing. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say it's a bad thing. I, I and, and thing. some of the stuff they, they did was crazy, but I just enjoyed the passion of it. And there was a lot of, oh my God moments. If you just watch what? basically any, any, um, uh, new Jack, you, they just you took any, the words. any new jack uh match like it's just insane they're stapling each other's head i mean literally every match he tried to outdo himself and if you watch in like secession every single 
pay-per-view, there's always New Jack, his music is always playing, and there's no effing rules. Like, he no. would jump off. Some of the stuff he did. Yeah, he jump off like scaffolding. Yeah, at some points, or he threw it, people off his scaffolding sometimes. Yeah, like, almost, and it was always he against still the multiple people. Crazy, yeah, and it was always against the Baldies. Like it was just yeah. the Baldies would be his pincushion. I don't know what it was. Yeah, but, he's got a type. And, yeah, and or watch any Spike Dudley match. That yeah. dude was getting oh. tossed around into the yeah. crowd. His big thing was every time he'd be in there, someone threw him into the crowd. Like it was insane. And Sabu, like I got to mention Sabu because Sabu. He was noticed by Paul Heyman because of the stuff he was doing that other people are like, what is this guy doing? He was really the first person, mm-hmm. you know, if in this is hearsay, but he was the yeah. first person to really introduce the, the table into wrestling. And then who, sure. everyone followed. Like, in my opinion, Sabu is probably one of the more under, if you're going to take a guy from ECW and say, hey, like, who's the, the, the main driver? I'm going to tell you it's Sabu because what he did was, he thought outside the box with a lot of different things that a lot of people weren't doing at the time. And like, if, if you're going to put someone in the hall of fame, that, that would be the guy. If you ask me, yeah. And he had his personal problems. He had other issues going on. Most of those guys did half of them were high when they were wrestling, but it still was friggin' awesome. Like it. <laughs> right. And, and that shouldn't really exclude anybody from the hall of fame at this point. No. Cause look at who they have in there. I know. Look at half of the people that are in there. So I don't even want to hear that as a, no. as some sort of criteria that disqualifies them. But you're right. Sabu was incredibly innovative in a lot of his matches. And, you know, it's a shame that when he eventually got signed into the WWE, when they had their little ECW revival, that, I mean, he was just piss poorly used. But, man, speaking of oh my God moments, I feel like this is turning into a more of just more than one moment for me. Yeah. I don't know about you, but I'm thinking of a ton. And one of them is when Sabu broke Benoit's neck. Oh, no. What was it? Benoit broke Sabu's neck. I forget. Both of them have broken people's necks before, but I, I'm pretty sure one of them tossed the other one. I think it was Benoit, how he got the name The Crippler, is he tossed Sabu over his back. Sabu lands on his head. He kind of like tries to get up and then he just like just falls back down to the ground. And so I think that in ECW is where Chris Benoit at that time got his name as The Crippler. Also, you got... Uh, now, I, I mean, I'm going off on tangent, so I'll stop. I'll stop. But there's plenty of plenty of oh my god moments if you watch all, some old ECW shows. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Uh, oh, oh, okay. Just thought of it. One last one, okay, and then I'll stop, and we'll keep. We'll, <laughs> You're we'll turning it to me, Mikey Cash. I am you can't be doing to that. You. I don't want to hear it. But it's no only shit. <laughs> no, you'll, you'll never get shit again from me, Vito. Cyber Slam '96. It's on Peacock. Watch it because you get to see Brian Pillman just show up at an ECW show. It is wild. That guy's appearance on the show. Talk about starting shit and just totally believing in your character and fooling the crowd in with into thinking what's real, what's not. That dude blurred the lines like nobody I've ever seen before. And you could see just how angry he was getting guys like Shane Douglas, even Paul Heyman for that matter. And maybe Paul was just really good at it too. We know that. It's really amazing. I it it was he showed up on this show and then he shows up, I think, on Raw or something like a couple of weeks later. So it was definitely like a really quick transition. But man, really cool to see. If you want to see some good Brian Pillman work, check out some of his stuff in ECW. So good. Boys, I want you to take a breath for a moment recalibrate i know we we were going pretty hot hot and heavy there because when you get excited about any topic right your mind just keeps going and you keep thinking about new and or not Mm -hmm. new in this case but just even cooler fucking situations right yeah but when you throw in that you really start to dial in on other things that were pretty awesome so Vito, you were talking about Sabu, but then you were talking about uh, who was the New Jack, New Jack. So it was New Jack in those promos. So you will, I'll be honest with you, I didn't know about New Jack until earlier this year, just because I told you earlier on, I'm green to the whole ECW thing. Don't know why it just never appealed to me. But then I started watching some of his promos. That was my oh my god moment because (laughs) just the words that were coming out of this guy's mouth and then. Mike, to your point, to see some of his matches where I only saw highlights, but places that guys were going, 
it was it was through the roof. So now that you have your breath, I took a little took a little bit of time for you. I want Mike you to dive in on some of your all time favorites from ECW. Okay, thank you. I have collected myself. I got a little too too excited there. Maybe it's because I don't have the AC on in here, so I'm just heating up. So I would say some of my favorites from ECW, and and this is no particular order, and this could change depending on the day. But the ones that always stood out to me, RVD, for obvious reasons, the guy has educated feet, as they like to say when he was in WWE, but it was very true. The guy was wonderful at, at his striking and his kicking. He was incredibly athletic, incredibly flexible. I think like Sabu, he was very innovative for the things he was able to do in the ring. And to and he had a smoothness that I didn't that Sabu didn't really have. Sabu had something that was like very authentic and he was kind of scrappy in some of the innovations that he had. Like sometimes he would like fuck things up and he'd fall off the, the rope and stuff like that. RVD was very smooth. I I I view him in the same caliber as randy orton in that regard of how smooth they are when they're in the ring together they make things look very easy another another right effortless another person that stands out is taz and i think for him it's just some guy who has incredible wrestling ability he's not innovative in the in the same way that rvd was but he was somebody who who knew what he did and he did it well and I think that's very important in any wrestler. And Taz knew what he was good at, and he did it to the best of his ability. And I think that that propelled him in ECW. Not only that, but that dude cut a fucking hell of a promo. Watch some of his promo stuff from ECW. Wonderful work. Another person, and I know he wasn't there for an incredibly long period of time, but I really like Bam Bam's work in ECW because I feel like in some ways it was very much of like a reset for him because I, I'm, if I remember the timeline right, he was in WWF, then left, went to WCW, then went to ECW. And I think he went back to WCW again at one point. But yeah, he was a wrestling whore. Yeah, he, I mean, he just, but he was a journeyman. He just went all over the place and really wherever you could get a paycheck. So I don't, I don't blame yeah, him. Yeah, me but, his work in ECW, I thought, was really well done. I thought he was handled very well there. He was treated with the respect that a veteran like him deserved at the time. I mean, this is a guy that was wrestling on the first Survivor Series and held his own with Andre. And here he is wrestling on an ECW pay-per-view against Taz and tearing the house down. So I think that's he was sort of an unsung hero for ECW. I know he wasn't there incredibly long, but somebody really stood out to me. So I, I want to mention mine here because uh, I'm only going to do a couple, um, but one that I am going to mention, and there's a good backstory to why I'm going to mention him, but it's Tommy Dreamer. And here's why. It's not that he's not a good wrestler. I, I think he sucks as a wrestler. But I don't. Uh, just to kind of briefly explain how ECW was born, right, there was a part where the NWA was there, and then this guy, and I can't think of his name, it was... Paul Heyman was not the original owner of ECW. Okay. Someone else was, and they were at an NWA event and they decided to flip the script. They do. They did something that Todd Gordon, Todd. Yes, that was it. That was it. And the franchise Shane Douglas was fighting and he won the NWA belt and he flipped the script and started going off on the NWA, took the belt and it was Eastern championship wrestling. And they were part of the NWA And then this whole thing caused a huge controversy where Todd knew about it and then didn't tell the NWA. And that's kind of where ECW was born. And they started doing all these different things. And um, which is funny that it's Eastern Championship Wrestling, but then it became Extreme Championship Wrestling. But there was one point at the very beginning of all this where Tommy Dreamer um, was a babyface. And he was like your typical like babyface, like looking good, you know, nothing wrong with them. And then all of a sudden, um, someone came out and he was with his girlfriend, whoever was in the ring. Someone came out and took a kendo stick and beat the living shit out of him. And it was this moment where all of a sudden this baby face just got absolutely destroyed. And he built up that like mankind empathy. And that's where he was like, this is my calling. I'm just going to get the shit beat out of me and not have to worry about wrestling. And that's what he basically did. And like, it was just cool. And he's always been a guy 
He was like Kane, really didn't win a title. I think he won it once, but he didn't need to. He just had extreme passion for the sport and um, for for making ECW succeed, um, like a lot of these guys did. So Tommy Dreamer would be on there. Um, the other thing I want to mention, too, you mentioned mine. RVD would be up there. Taz. Um, Sabu, obviously, would be up there. Um, and Mike Awesome. Mike Awesome was a good was a good one as well. That's a good um, one. Yeah, Mike Awesome was a big one there. Justin Credible is very underrated also. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to say he was the best champion, but at that time, everyone was getting poached. So Paul Heyman would build up these guys, and all these wrestlers were getting poached. But ECW and Paul Heyman also were the first ones to bring the Japanese and Lucha wrestling to the U.S. Mm-hmm. Mainstream. Because all of these other wrestling companies wanted the big boys. These are where the big boys play. This is... Hulk Hogan, you know, at six foot five, you know, the heavyweights. The but new they, generation. Right. Heyman came in and said, well, you know what? We're not going to get those guys. So we're going to be extreme. We're going to do things different and we're going to be fast paced. And the matches with like um, Hoover two Guerrero's in there a few times. Super yeah, crazy. Psychosis and Rey Mysterio. Tajiri. Tajiri's in there yep. a bunch. Like Masato Tanaka. He's yep. talking about talking, Masato, talking about Mike yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Him and Masato Tanaka had barn. Awesome rivalry. Yeah. So those would be mine um, as far as my, my favorites in there. Well, I want to just let you both know that I only thought Taz was brought on as a WWE uh, commentator and thought he wanted to wrestle, but actually had no idea how to. Because uh, yeah. every time I saw him in a WWF ring, it was normally an atrocity. Thank you for the ECW uh, shed of light. Mm-hmm. But, Vito, I want to keep it with you yeah. because of why we consistently, whether it's just a little bit of the show or a snippet of the show, y- you tend to really talk about ECW for a multitude of different reasons. So I have to assume that deep down, ECW has some sort of contribution to the overall scope of wrestling. So what do you think the overall contribution to the pro wrestling industry is from ECW? Yeah. So I think I covered a little bit of it already, you know, talking about bringing in kind of the more edgier content, um, doing things differently. Like even the production was differently. It was very gritty. It was the complete opposite. Basically, if you look at what they do today and you were to say, what would be the complete opposite? It would be an ECW show, literally like sensors everywhere, you know, camera movements all over the place, people not looking into the right camera, like announcers. Uh, the other per- thing I want to mention too, my favorites from ECW, Joey Styles. he, he makes it, it's like perfect. He's like not the greatest announcer, but he fits that bill perfectly. And it makes it feel like it's a, an indie show. It's, it's, it's great. But I think a lot of that helped contribute to what went on in the boom of wrestling in the late nineties. And, you know, ECW didn't have a financial backing. They didn't have any of that, but they had the passion and they had a small crowd and they used it to the best of their abilities. Unfortunately, you know, it didn't work out, but they, they've last, they've put a lasting impression on there. I also want to point out before I go to Mike, that, Look at the passion that these guys had. Why did they have it? Right? Why? I'll tell you why. Because Paul Heyman probably listened to what they were saying and let them be the creative juices behind it. Whereas now I feel like a lot of it's like, here's the script. Here's what you're going to do. This is what we want you to do. How can you be passionate about that? I'm not saying that's exactly how it is. I'm not behind the scenes at WWE today. But I just see like there's a huge difference between the two people. It's almost like we're going to bring you through this cog and then you're going to do this. You're going to do that cookie cutter. Whereas ECW was like, let's try it. If it didn't work, it didn't work. And they had a lot that didn't work. So, Mikey, mm-hmm. my question to you, brother, right? It's literally the same one. But I'm really curious as to not only what you think you could echo from Vito, but I actually want to know as you were going through tape recently, really where does ECW fit in this whole scope and, and why, why did they shape wrestling into what it is right now? I mean, we have tables, ladders, and chairs for a pay-per-view even still to this day. So uh, I'll let you run with it though. So to answer the first part about what, what can I echo from Vito? Pretty much all of it. I I think in terms of as much as I love 
you know, I love Joey Styles. And one of the things that I wrote in here, what, what do you think the overall contribution to the industry is? A one-man commentary booth can work if given the right person. And the, the WWE will never do it. AEW will never do it. Maybe some other promotion somewhere down the line will allow that to happen. But given the right person, a one-man booth can really be effective. Now, on to sort of for me, why I think, what do I think their overall contribution to the wrestling business is, is that one, like Vito had said before, WCW, WWF took a great deal of content from ECW, a lot of ideas from ECW and sort of molded it, tailored it to their own type of shit where they were at at the time. The hardcore division, look no further than that. Look at today. There would be no 24-7 title if it wasn't for a hardcore title. You wouldn't have a hardcore title if you didn't have ECW. So really, it's Paul Heyman's fault that Ro- that R-Truth is running around with a 24-7 <laughs> championship today <laughs> if we really want to point fingers. Anyway, but for That's me, I, uh, I know it's a hell of a hell of a stretch. Uh, but for me, I believe that ECW really showed that you can cater to a niche audience and it flew against what the two main organizations at the time were doing. You were trying to be all things to all people, WCW and WWF. And even today, we know what we've, we've talked about this at nauseum about what WWE tries to do in terms of their general audience appeal. And what ECW showed was that you can cater to a specific audience and be successful doing so. And you didn't necessarily, it doesn't need to be this big national global brand. It can be this little regional thing. And and I'm not saying it was perfect in their execution of it, but I do think overall what that tells maybe promoters and different promotions today is that you can have something that's a little bit niche and it can work for you. With that, you have to temper expectations and whatnot, but I do believe that ECW set a template there in terms of being able to cater to a very specific audience rather than casting such a wide net. Another another piece of the puzzle for ECW that I really enjoy and I hope more promotions get into is having these journeymen sort of breezing through for periods of time. You know, you had Mysterio, Psychosis, Benoit, Guerrero, Pillman, Austin, Bam Bam. I mean, look at all of that. that that's a lot of talent that blew through there and they weren't there for very long. You're going to have mainstays, and it's important to have those guys, but look at all of those wrestlers that were able to come through there. Not only were they learning by being in that new environment, but also the guys that were up and coming were learning by working with those kinds of veterans as they were coming through. So I think that's a really good system to have, and in my eyes, that's a little bit more akin to what a territory is. So for me, that's that's sort of, I hope I answered your question. I, I not only do I think you answered the question, but you you took it exactly where I thought you were going to take it to that next step. And it was a, a gorgeous segue into when you were talking about the niche and kind of going for one specific genre. I think it really brought out one of the reasons as to why ECW went out of business. So, mm-hmm. Mikey, I want you to go a little bit further on why you think it went out of business. Uh, So for me, I think they went out of business. Their greatest strength was also maybe their greatest weakness is that they were going after this niche audience while also trying to pursue global contracts or national contracts, not global, like when them trying to get TV. So this was a really strange situation and it's really better explained on the DVD than however I'm about to explain this. So forgive me, but what what happened to my understanding is they were doing all this syndicated television and then they decided all right so we need like a weekly television show so they start they get some sort of negotiation with TNN basically unbeknownst to them at the time they were also negotiating with WWF who was trying to move from the USA network for at the time to get raw over to TNN so the way it comes off is that TNN gets EC gives ECW a slot on on their network. And I think it's like 10 PM or something like that. It's really, it's not a wonderful slot and uses that to, I I think leverage out getting the, getting WWF raw. So really ECW was sort of just taken on as almost like a loss. Like they kind of, it seemed as though it was doomed from the start. They get them on. They kind of knew already. We weren't really going to do anything with them. We were just going to, you know, kind of 
beat around the bush with him, give him a hard time. Heyman talks about this in the DVD, really just from the get-go with TNN, it was just a real pain in the ass. And it, it ended up kind of leading to them going bankrupt, essentially. And, you know, the rest was history because then Heyman sort of sells everything off to McMahon. And you could see how much it really burnt out Heyman towards the end. I don't know if I have any much more to add there. No. Like, you know, what about you? Yeah, so you covered it pretty good. I would say the other part of it, too, is once they figured out that TNN was really going to move to WWE or WWF at the time, they started doing a skit on the show about Don, who's the guy? Don, Don Callis. Don Callis, um, who was later Cyrus. Well, it was Cyrus at this point, and he was the commentator, and he was the head of the network. And all they would do was shit on the network. And it was basically their way of being a big F you to TNN, like saying, hey, you know what? If you're going to do this, we're just going to shit on you, which didn't help their case at all. Nope. Um, and the other thing was that you talked about him and being burnt out. Why was he burnt out? WCW and WWF were stealing all the stars. You know, I think there was some sort of like mutual, like, I'm not going to take your guys, Paul. You know what I mean? But with, with WWE. But with WCW, they were stealing all the stars. He didn't have the money to pay them. So what is he going to do? Keep building these guys and then losing them and then having to rebuild it? And it just, I could imagine him getting burnt out. And I think they took on too much and that TNN de deal really screwed them. The, the sad part is I think they still would have and could have taken off um, with the right financial backing. I really do. And and I, I think it was one of those things. I don't think Paul Heyman is the guy that's going to be the business guy. He's the creative mind. Like that's really mm -hmm. it. <clears throat> so I think that kind of led to a, a lot of it, yeah. um, you know, and they weren't, they weren't traveling around the United States that much. It's not like they were doing tours or anything like that. I don't think they had the money to do it. They, I saw some, they, they were starting to move it around, but I, I it, it wasn't as big as WWF and, and WCW at the time. I mean, think about it. They got yeah. Vince McMahon backing them and, and billionaire Ted, who's going to win, you know? So true. So it, all parts being equal at that point, you know, do you think, Vito, do you think uh, ECW, you alluded to it a little bit, but would ECW be relevant today if it was still around? No, I don't think so. And I think eventually it would have gone out of business regardless, just because of the way and the nature of, you know, everyone's kind of, I don't want to call it PC culture or anything like that. Cause I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I don't want it to seem like I'm coming off like, Oh yeah. Like, you know, everything changed. No, that's not what I'm saying. It's just in today's environment, it definitely wouldn't have, it wouldn't get any sponsors. It's far too risky. Number two, people doing all the drugs in the back just isn't going to happen anymore. Like it's not the same wrestling environment. It was 20 mm -hmm. years ago. And I don't think that I, I think you'd still have fans watching it. I just think it would be too over the top and no, it wouldn't get the, it wouldn't be on TV. It wouldn't like, it just wouldn't be the way I think WWE, the way they did it with the attitude era was about as edgy as you could get without going over the line. And WC in ECW was always over the line. Like it just was like, it, it was mostly a pay-per-view sport. So I, I think what's going to happen though, is that we've gone in the complete opposite direction where it's not even about wrestling anymore. And that passion's gone. That's why I love AEW. You can see that passion. They don't want to be part of this giant corporation. You know what I mean? So, um, I think, I think eventually you're going to see it kind of circle back to where it was. I don't think it'll go far as and as extreme as it was before, but I think you'll see it circle back to get some people back on. I mean, put it this way. I was just reading something. The biggest Raw ever did 10 point, uh, did, did almost 10 million viewers. It barely does 2 million or a million like nowadays. So think about it. At some point, it's going to circle back. I know social media, everything skews all of that. I get it. But 10 million to, to 1 million is a huge drop off. It's just, it's not as popular. I think it will circle back. So Mikey, uh, do you think we even need to go any further on this? Or do you, you have anything to add? I actually have a bit of an opposing view. I think, I, I think if they were around today, all things being considered, I think Heyman would have found a way to get them onto the streaming. And I think that would have been where it was. I don't think they, I think their, their pursuit of a national network was probably the wrong move because they couldn't be who they needed to be and be on a national network. Correct. They could, however, 
grab a little slot on fight TV for a subscription fee. And people would pay for that because yeah. you'd be getting everything you wanted from them. Great point. Wow. Guaranteed. You'd get some sponsors through that Great because point. it wouldn't be something that's out and about on the news fronts, but you could have something that's on a streaming service. Parents wouldn't be complaining about it because, Hey, it's not on public broadcast television. And you know who would be happy? Who? Me. You would have been happy. <laughs> I, and you know, th this was something that I can't believe I'm about to mention his name, but Shane McMahon thought about when initially yeah. buying ECW and thinking yeah. about doing that. And, and that was, that got poo pooed. But again, I, I think if, if it was still around today, it could be relevant if it was in the right platform. Yeah. That's, you, that's what I'll say to it. Yeah. The remake of ECW was just not anywhere near. It started out. Okay. And then it just went downhill. It was like yeah. the one night stands were awesome. Oh. Like they were unbelievable. The mm -hmm. one where they basically beat the shit out of Bischoff at the end was like a perfect wrap up to everything. Yeah. And then they tried to be whores and, and do it again, which it was still good the second time with John Cena, like uh, getting booed out of the building. If, Joe, if Cena wins, wins, we riot. But I also think that was to the demise of John Cena. I mean, he did really well. But I think that's when the character was like, oh, we actually hate this guy. You know what I mean? Um, and, and so, but regardless, that's a whole different story. Um, I, I the, the remake was good until they started making like the big show champion and they had a zombie on yeah. there and shit like that. I just, not my cup of tea and nope. it flopped. Mikey, mm -hmm. I think a great analogy to what you were, to what you were speaking to was and is Wayne's World. Wayne's World was fantastic on cable access. Wayne's World was terrible the second it went to being sponsored by Noah's Arcade. Yep. There you yep. go. Perfect. Perfect analogy. That's WWE. And Noah's yep. Arcade is USA. <laughs> so, all right. Uh, we're, getting, we're getting close on time here. So, Vito, what do you have for a couple of your worst moments of ECW? Yeah, so, you know, my worst moment is definitely, it actually cost them uh, Kurt Angle. It is the crucifix angle between Sandman and Raven. Basically, there was a thing where Raven was going, and they took things to the extreme. They did some some crazy stuff. So, like, Raven was, like, going after Sandman's family and everything, and then he ended up tying him on a crucifix, and it was this big old thing. It was just not good. Nope. It was not good at all. And um, that would probably be the worst moment. There's other issues too. Like they would always get the crowd involved. And there was one where Francine got involved in with the, with the crowd. It was on one of the pay-per-views and it ended up being like a rival promotion. I forget what it was. And then they ECW and this rival promotion actually fought after the, the pay-per-view outside in the parking lot like yeah so yeah i mean there, there's there's like an actual some, fight like yeah like, yeah because they like grabbed her or something i don't know it was the whole thing i, I mean and also like some of the violence i know like went too far like new jack had a couple incidents where like he legitimately beat the bag out of people um and like sent a kid to the hospital and i believe he died like it was called mass transit it was actually in boston yeah. Um, yeah, he, like, yeah, he died a couple of years later. He beat the crap out of him. He said he was a, it's a whole story. I'm not going to get into it. You can look mm -hmm. it up. It's called Mass Transit. Check it out. Um, Dark Side crazy. of the Ring. Watch yeah. that episode. Yep. Yep. But um, no, those would be mine. Fair enough. Mikey, what do you got? Uh, I'm with Vito. <laughs> That's really the worst one that they did. I, I personally don't have too much of a problem with it, but I think it was just sort of like a, they just pushed the envelope a little bit too far, and it was right when they were getting some bigger exposure. So with that comes more scrutiny. Mm -hmm. That's all fair. But as you guys were, were both mentioning, you know, what good, bad, ugly uh, for everything that we just discussed, I have to imagine that you gentlemen have your own Mount Rushmore's. Mikey, I'd like you to lead it off with your Mount Rushmore. Sure. Uh, I, I've already explained a few of these guys, so I'll just throw it out there. I have RVD, Sandman, Raven, Shane Douglas, and the Dudleys as a collective. Those are those are good ones. Mine would be Sabu, RVD, Taz, Sandman, and Tommy Dreamer. But I mean, there's arguments to be made for yeah for either one of ours. So wait, do our are, are, are Mount Rushmore supposed to have five or four? 
I don't know. I put five. I don't know. We can I make it whatever five. we want. Yeah. But, right. Mine it's usually our, it's our 10, show. So. Our show, our rules. Yeah, we, but, uh, we've had hey, I, I gotta I gotta say something though. Ric Flair, uh, we talked about not being on Mount Rushmore's on the last episode. Um, okay. I'm gonna adamantly disagree with all of you, and I'll touch on this in the next episode, but I do not think Ric Flair should be on a Mount Rushmore. And so I disagree with your friend. Was it Mike? Yeah, my friend. I Mike. disagree with them, Mike. You are wrong, and I'll explain if you want to know, you'll listen to the next episode. DM which, him. Be DM him, Mike. Which is a beautiful segue into our season two cliffhanger. That's right, right, gentlemen. What I was just alluding to a second ago is that the starting from Gorilla Crew is going to take our talents take to Take our Beach. ball and go home. <laughs> so, we're, we're, you know, it's the summer. Pandemic I've lost my in. smile, Bobby. <laughs> well, you know what? I think it's a perfect time to have a couple of cocktails do do what you do best veto a couple things that you might be doing while you're away you know probably just the old fourth of july celebrations you know enjoying the summer kicking at the beach catching mm-hmm. up with some some wrestling stuff you know but uh that'll be good good mikey maybe cash? watching more ecw <laughs> mikey cash what about you brother well hey man restrictions are lifting i'm we were getting the hell out of the house. So that means less time to be watching wrestling as much as I want to, but I will be making sure to keep an eye on the product. And uh, for me, it's going to be good just seeing some family, seeing some friends and just recharging. You know, we've been doing this the better part of a year. Now we started this with you guys in the middle of quarantine. So I think like anything, it's good to take a little bit of a break. Listen, I can't echo that any further. I'm going to, you know, I think for, for myself, what I've enjoyed the most is getting on the horn, talking to you all about everything that we love, hate, and equally detest in, uh, in wrestling and in, uh, sports entertainment right now. And even of yesteryear, during this whole time, what we were able to see was some really cool interactions with a lot of our fans. And I want you to keep going to struttingfromgorilla.com for our updates and keep hammering home all of our facebook instagram all of our social medias so facebook at sfg podcast twitter and tiktok afrom underscore gorilla instagram at sf gorilla pod and starting from gorilla.com you know we may be on vacation we're gonna recharge but you may see ebb and flow potential some updates so i want to let you know that gentlemen what I'd like to share with you is kind of where and who we've talked to for fans all over the place. And I want to let you know that our IP addresses have touched. Mango alluded to it on the last episode. So he was a busy, busy guy. Flew to 20 different countries. We'll call him Santa Claus. We have listeners in Taiwan, Switzerland, Austria, Australia, Ireland, Canada, Germany, Italy, Nepal, the Netherlands, Singapore, Sri Lanka, New Zealand, the U.S., India, Mexico, the U.K., Pakistan, Bangladesh. Man, everywhere. (laughs) It is fantastic, and I can't thank our fans enough. So keep checking us out. We're gonna have our season two coming to you in the very near future. Until then, I think uh, I think why don't you boys just enjoy the vacation? ECW. We now return your perception of reality to you until next time.